0: Our series is called The Appointment, and we're looking at seven encounters Jesus had with people. And it'll take us all the way up to and right beyond Easter. These are special moments and special stories. And each week we're looking at sort of three lines that help us frame the situation. Life put them there, Jesus came to meet them, and their lives were never the same again. But our talk this weekend is distinct from the others in this regard it's two people, it's two people who are worlds apart. And life put them in two very different places, and their encounters with Jesus led to two very different experiences. I got to say this: you and I are not going to be the same after this talk. You know, there are times when I talk about subjects, and I know it doesn't impact everybody in the room. Maybe just a life circumstance or situation that's not universal. But this is not one of those weekends. You and I are not going to be. The, I'm not going to be the same. I was worshiping at the 5:30 service after I'd already brought the message at four o'clock. And as I stood up in the balcony worshiping, I I thought to myself, what am I going to do with this message? I wrote it, and I preached it, and yet at the same time, it's impacting me. It's just the nature of this story. It's the nature of what we're going to see today. You and I are going to make a choice about how we're going to react to this. It's it's inescapable. Let me do something. I want to just read the story for a few moments because as we refer back to it and unpack it, I want you to know how it develops. The story is in the Bible at least three times. You know, of course, there are four stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And oftentimes, there are stories about Jesus that are in only one gospel or two gospels. But in this particular situation, the story is at least in three gospels and maybe a fourth. And the reason I say maybe is we're not sure whether it's one occasion in which there are four accounts of it or if there are more than one situation that's just similar And so I want to just read the story to you. From time to time, we'll appeal to another one of the stories of Jesus for a detail that that Luke doesn't put in. But we're going to go with Luke's story for a couple of reasons. Dr. Luke, as you know, um, was a physician. I always joke and say I think he was either an obstetrician or a gynecologist because Luke tells us so many stories about women that we wouldn't find otherwise and it was a very male-oriented culture back then and so I really appreciate what Dr. Luke has to say and one of the people in our story is a woman in fact the hero of our story is a woman so with that out of the way let's read Luke's story of um, these two people who were worlds apart now one of the pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him so he went to the pharisee's house and reclined at the table When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar, an alabaster flask of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner." Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you or something to say to you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water from my feet, but she wept my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I, I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins... Or I'll show you a translation later that I like, I think it's even more accurate. Her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you, go in peace. I think you can put two and two together and know that we're going to a deep place today. This is not the kind of story for the faint of heart. This is not the kind of story for the, uh, the fair-weather Christian. This is a story for people who are serious. Or it's a story for people who are just going to decide that they're not serious. Let's unpack it. I want you to meet the people in this narrative. First of all, I'd like for you to meet Simon. Um, he is the person who is throwing the dinner party, and he has invited Jesus to come. In our story, he is referred to as Simon the Pharisee. And right out of the box, I can raise a question. Why would a Pharisee invite Jesus to a dinner party? If you were here last week and you heard me talk about Nicodemus, you know that the Pharisees were the most religious people of Jesus' day, but they were also the socioeconomic elite. There were only a handful of them. But they were very special, at least in their own minds, and they were special in the minds of the people. But if you've read the Gospels, you know that oftentimes it's the Pharisees who had the greatest hatred for Jesus. See, here's what the Pharisees did they developed a religious culture in which they only dealt with the exterior of their lives. Very ritualistic, very devoted to their rituals. The only problem was their attitudes of the heart. No, they, they didn't worry about that. They were just concerned about everything on the outside. And Jesus came along teaching about the heart, and he blew it up. He blew up their world. And so consequently, they had an animosity toward him. And so you, you could ask the question, why would a Pharisee invite Jesus to a dinner party. We'll we'll set that aside for a moment. Let me just talk about what a dinner party would be like in those days for somebody who was elite and wealthy like Simon. You know, of course, there was no television back then and certainly no reality shows. But a guy like Simon would have a courtyard in, in his house. It was a warm climate. And this courtyard would be elegantly furnished, elegantly landscaped, and it would be the place for large dinner parties. And so Simon is throwing a big party. He's invited Jesus and his posse. He's invited his, his group of Pharisee buddies. And so I don't know how many were there. I'm going to guess maybe there were 30 or 40. But going back to the reality show thing, uh, what could happen in those days is that there was a gate, of course, and a fence outside this courtyard, and the lower classes could come and peer inside the, the gate to see how the beautiful people lived. Sort of a prehistoric reality show. Well, let's go back to why Simon would invite Jesus to dinner. Because as you and I know, Pharisees and Jesus, they didn't didn't always get along very well. But one of the Gospels, in fact, the Gospel of Mark refers to Simon as Simon the leper. Oh, we don't have to do too deep a deduction here to figure this one out. Lepers in Jesus' day were not only considered um, very ill and contagious, they were also considered unclean. It, it was a sign of God's judgment in, in these people's minds if you had leprosy. And lepers could not live with the rest of the community. They had to go outside the city and live in leper communities. And if the, anybody who came toward them who was not ill with leprosy, they would have to cry out unclean so they could keep everyone else away from them. So here's the thing. For Simon to be called Simon the leper and for him to be throwing a dinner party and to be at the dinner party tells us that he did not have leprosy anymore. And this is for another day. We should talk about this, I guess, someday. But in the Old Testament, there were prophets who cured leprosy by the power of God. But for hundreds of years, that hadn't happened. In fact, when Jesus came along and he started curing lepers, they had to blow the dust off the Old Testament to figure out how they could people who had been leprous could be now back part of the community again. So we know what happened with Simon. We don't have to go through too heavy a deduction here. Simon had come into contact with Jesus, and Jesus had healed him of his leprosy. So that's why he invited Jesus to dinner. But now that could raise a secondary question in your mind, because you read the story with me, and you can tell that Simon didn't treat Jesus very well. So what's the deal? Well, I'm going to tell you what I see here in the story, and see what you think about this. I think Simon is walking a sort of—he is walking a sort of PR catch twenty-two. On one hand, he owes Jesus a dinner. I, I don't know. I mean, we know that Jesus cured ten lepers one time. Remember that story? And only one of them turned around to give God glory and and he was a Samaritan. That wouldn't be Simon. So maybe Simon was one of the nine who went home and he got thinking, you know, really I should do something social for Jesus. I'm going to invite him to dinner. But the issue is he now has his Pharisee buddies who don't think very highly of Jesus. So maybe he's going to invite Jesus to dinner and sort of be ambiguous about how he feels about Jesus. Maybe it's like, I want you to come to dinner, but not very much. There's an old story, and so old. I don't know why I think about this, but there's a story of a little girl who was given a pincushion by her aunt for a birthday present. And her mother said to her, you got to write a thank you note to your aunt. And so she wrote the following thank you note. Dear aunt, thank you for the pincushion. I've always wanted one, just not very much. (laughs) I get that feeling of Simon inviting Jesus over for dinner. I've always wanted you to come for dinner, just not very much. But before we get too too comfortable with that, let me ask you a question. Because I I think Simon represents, in large part, a lot of 21st century American Christianity. We've read the Bible. We don't want to go to hell. Jesus died for our sins. We prayed to receive him. But on the other hand, he's socially unpopular in some quarters. So maybe I'll like go to church, you know, take my kids to church and sort of like do the Christian thing, maybe listen to some Christian music. But at the end of the day, it's not going to get into the groundwater of my life. It's not going to get into the way I spend my money or the way I recreate or, or when I hang with my friends. I have always wanted Jesus, just not very much. Well, anyway, Simon invites Jesus for dinner. And we know that Jesus brought his disciples. It's a, it's a big affair. There's no doubt about it. When Jesus gets there, he's just one of a bunch and not an insider at that. I don't know about you, but I've paid about all the attention to Simon I want to pay. I'd like to look at somebody else, wouldn't you? Outside the gate, outside the fence, is a woman. A bad woman. Or at least she has been a bad woman. In the Gospels, when you read about the people that sometimes people are called sinners Not everybody's a sinner we know that but in those days you know a sinner would be somebody who's like their life had been an overt uh clear cut bad to the bone person and here is a woman and she's got money and we can sort of guess how she got it. she's a high price she's been a high price call girl high price low life and you know the thing about it is, is, even though she's well-to-do and she's got money and everything, we feel bad for her because she's trapped in a lifestyle. You ever like, watch a movie about organized crime or, or maybe like a, a, just a show about people that are caught up in that? In a way, you, know, you look at them, they have all the bling and all the money and everything and, and the fancy cars, and yet you feel bad for them because you know there's no way they can get out of their life. They're trapped in it. And I think that's what this woman was like. She had money, she had bling, but the problem was she was a high-priced call girl and she was trapped in this life. No, scholars, and I'm not one, but scholars who really know the Bible and, and unpack the chronology of everything, they say that Jesus had just delivered his message that says all of you who are overwhelmed with life, all of you who are weary and loaded down, come to me and I will give you rest. And scholars believe that she heard that message. Oh, we could understand that, couldn't we? I mean, a woman who's a high-priced call girl who's selling herself for money, selling her body for money, we could understand how that she could think, I don't have a life, I don't have a future, I can't get out of this. And Jesus comes to town and he says, Hey, is there anybody out there that's just overwhelmed with life and you can't get loose? Come to me and I will give you rest. And scholars believe she heard the message. And maybe she didn't know everything she was getting into, but I think she took Jesus at his word and she took a step toward him. You know what? If you will take a step toward God, it's amazing how far you can go with that first step. Oh, by the way, for those of us who follow God, you take a step away from God and it's amazing how far away you can get. Well, let's just go back to the positive side. She had taken that step toward God and now she's outside the fence watching Jesus. Now, you're, you're, sometimes people live vicariously through others. Like there's a dad who didn't get to play sports and his son is an athlete. He sort of lives through his son. Maybe there's a a mom, you know, who never got to be artistic, didn't get, you know, art lessons or school or lessons in one of the arts and has a daughter or son who does that. We, we, We live through our kids. Sometimes we live through the, you know, sometimes we live through pro sports figures. And so, this woman is watching this dinner party. She's on the outside looking in. She is watching the insiders. She is watching the beautiful people. And she is saying to herself, you know what? The really good people are going to do the good things for Jesus that I would like to do, but I can't. Now, she's watching how they're going to treat him. And whatever she knows about, she knows about one thing she knows about cosmetics. And there's one thing that she wants to see more than anything else. Because see, in the the first century, when a person was an honored guest, when a person was the guest at a dinner party, the host, signifying that this person was the most important person there, would take a, a small sachet of fragrance and place it on the person's head. Fragrance was often in the form of a wax. And so when this sachet of fragrance was placed on the person's head, the body heat of the person would melt the fragrance, and the aroma would fill the room, as if to say this person's presence here is being a blessing to all of us. Now, she knows that's what they're going to do for Jesus because he's a guest of honor. Somebody's going to do that. She would like to, but she's waiting to see. And I just... I, I can kind of get it to her head a little bit because she, she knows this. The more important a guest is, the more expensive the fragrance they're going to go to the closet and bring out. And she's saying, hey, I know fragrances. I'm going to be able to tell in a heartbeat. I'm going to be able to tell which fragrance that is. But to her horror, to her shock, they don't even offer to wash Jesus' feet. And there's no fragrance I mean, on top of that, they, they, give, they, don't even give him, they don't even give him a price seat. They give him a cheap seat. And she watches that. And, and, and here's the thing. At this moment, she is dealing with two conflicting but raging emotions inside of her. And they are as follows. The first emotion she has is, it would be crazy to go in there. I mean, because after all, I mean, ladies, sorry about this. This is a very male-dominated culture. These dinner parties were for men only. It would be crazy for any woman to go in there, but I mean a high-priced call girl with a bad reputation. So the first emotion she has, it would be crazy to go in there. But the second emotion is Jesus deserves something special. He deserves honor. Guys, I'm going to just get into your grill right now, and I'm getting into my own grill with this. I want to ask you a straight-up question. And those of you who follow Jesus, have these two emotions ever raged inside of you? See, I don't think in the average Christian they have. I, I see people today who, who will do something for Jesus as long as it's safe, as long as it's politically correct, as long as it doesn't ask us to get out of our comfort zone, as long as it doesn't mess with our bank account or mess with our retirement fund, or it doesn't mess with our serious recreational time. I see a lot of Christians that won't, won't hell insurance. But have these emotions ever raged inside of you? On one hand, when you say, you know, it would be crazy if I did that. It would, it would be crazy if I went there. It would be crazy if I gave that. It would be crazy if I gave that much time. But on the other hand, it's for Jesus. I mean, he deserves it. You heard the song today that just touched my heart. It's touched my heart five times as 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 I heard Melinda sing about who he is and what he's done for us and how he's changed our lives. I mean, let me just ask you today, I mean, I'm not trying to be unkind and you don't even have to answer me. I'm trying to answer myself. I just want to know, have these emotions ever raged inside of you where on one hand you said, it would be crazy to do that, but on the other hand, it's Jesus. Well, it doesn't take her long to make up her mind. At home, she's got fragrances. Oh, yeah. I mean, she knows fragrances. And she's got some that, that, that are nice for every day, and she's got some that are sort of special, but then she's got one flask of fragrance. I don't know how she got it, I'm guessing, but I don't know. This fragrance is so expensive. Some of you guys have bought fragrances for your wife or lady in your life, or some of you ladies have bought fragrance for yourself, always know that when they start pricing it by the quarter ounce and spelling it P-A-R-F-U-M, I know it's going to really cost. but we don't know anything about this. This fragrance would cost a year's salary for an average worker. So by today's standards, you could say this, this fragrance was worth between 30000 and $40,000. And, 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 and you just think about this. I mean, she didn't use that one very often. I mean, because that one was meant to last a lifetime. And she would only use it occasionally and then only very sparingly. As I said, I don't know. I mean, it's very rare for a person to have pure white nard. I mean, that that was a fragrance that was known only to Roman royalty. So she goes home, and she picks up that flask, that alabaster flask of fragrance. And, well, you know, Jesus will later on, he, he will ask Simon, do you see this woman? Let me ask you, do you see her? Do you see her? Can you get her in your mind? I can. This is one of my favorite stories. I see her walk cradling that flask up to the gate, and with trembling fingers, I see her open the latch and pull back the gate and then walk in. Do you you see her now as she walks past the scalding looks of what is this woman? This woman, what is she doing here? Can you get her her in your mind as she walks past? But she doesn't see the scalding look. She is focused entirely on Jesus. She is going to get to Jesus somehow, and she takes that flask of fragrance, and then she stops. Now, here's where I think I, I get into her mind because she's not prepared for the moment. I don't know exactly what she intended to do. I'm guessing that it was her intention to do what they should have done. I think she thinks she's going to take out a little cachet or sachet of this fragrance and place it on Jesus' head. But as she stands there and looks at Jesus, her life flashes before her, her mind. And she sees growing up as a little girl and the times that she didn't listen to her mom and dad. And she thinks about the times that she took the first false steps and started going out with guys that she shouldn't go out with. And the first time that she, she sold her body for money. And time after time, doing the act of a high-priced call girl and thinking about how her life was over. And then remembering when Jesus came came to town and Jesus said I can give you a life and she looked at that and then she decided in a moment to do something that was totally irrational. She took that flask of perfume that was worth a year's salary and poured it out on Jesus in a moment. Now, I don't know. As I said, I don't know whether there's two stories, three stories, or just one story here. Maybe she poured out the ointment first on his hair and then poured it on his feet. I don't know. But I do know this, that she poured a lot of this ointment on Jesus' feet. And she's unprepared for the moment because her tears begin to splash on Jesus' feet. And she does the unthinkable. And to the Western world, this wouldn't mean anything. But to an Eastern world, she she does the most humiliating act. She takes her hair down and uses her hair as a towel to dry Jesus' feet. That would be something that even the lowest servant girl in the house wouldn't possibly think of doing. But see, it's for Jesus. You understand. How are you feeling about this story? I'm guessing most of us are are saying, man, Mark, if I'd have been there, my tears would have joined hers. I mean, I, 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 you love this. Don't you love this? I mean, for me, it's real easy for me just to get caught up in Jesus and the woman. I forget about everybody else in the room. And I know how you feel about Jesus. I think all, most of you here today, if Jesus came to your house, it would be the most exciting thing in the world, and you would want to do good things for him. I mean, you'd be so excited if Jesus came. I mean, you would be doing all the special things. You'd be taking selfies of you and Jesus. And then. You know, <laughs> treat them out to your friends. I know I know I know. Now we want to think to happen, right? I mean everybody, wow, this is wonderful. It didn't go down that way. Everybody was horrified. You know what the you know what the general reaction of everybody in the room except Jesus was, this woman has ruined this party. <laughs> Thinking about this, you know, the feeling in the room was this woman has turned a significant event into something meaningless. What they didn't realize, she took a meaningless event and turned it into something significant. This, if I hadn't pastored a church for thirty-seven years, I'd never believe this. Do you know who the first group to criticize this woman was? Jesus' disciples. It wasn't Simon, his Pharisee bunch. They were too suave and cool to do that. They weren't saying anything. But Jesus' disciples go ballistic. Now, John tells us Judas got it all started, but it, it went through the whole disciples. I mean, in Mark, it says some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Well, there's certainly nothing wrong with doing good things for the poor. I mean, nobody was a greater advocate than Jesus about that. But you know, eternal things matter too. And Jesus makes the point that this woman is preparing his body for burial. In fact, he was saying, hey, I'm about to die on a cross here to save the world. And it isn't just a matter of food for this world that counts. It's a matter about being right for eternity. In fact, Jesus said to the disciples, leave her alone. I love that. Just let her alone. Let her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will have with you always, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. Now, Simon, on the other hand, is more sophisticated. He's not saying anything, but he is wishing he had not invited Jesus to dinner because he's thinking, I don't know what I saw in the sky, but he... Well, let's read it. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet... He would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Isn't it amazing? Religious people think they know so much more than they know. Simon thinks he knows who Jesus is now. He thinks he knows who the woman is. And weirdly enough, he thinks he knows who he himself is. He's batting a thousand. He's wrong about all three. First of all, he says, I don't know why I'm this Jesus guy. If he was a prophet, he'd know this is a bad woman and he shouldn't let her touch him. Well, he he didn't know who Jesus was because Jesus is going to reveal later on. He knows things about this woman's life Simon doesn't know. And more than a prophet, he's the son of God. So he doesn't know who Jesus is. And he thinks he knows who the woman is, that she's a sinner, but he doesn't know that she's been forgiven. And God has relieved her from her debt of sin. He doesn't know she's a saint now. So he doesn't know who the woman is. And then thirdly, Simon doesn't know who he is because clearly Simon doesn't think he's a sinner. Because he draws a distinction between the woman and him giving the dinner party. <laughs> he's wrong. Jesus is the son of God, the woman is forgiven, and Simon is a sinner, and he still has a sin. But anyway, he's not saying anything. He's just holding back. That's foolish. When you're dealing with a son of God, he knows what you're thinking. So you just get this picture in your head. Simon's not said anything. He doesn't think Jesus knows what he's thinking. So Jesus speaks up and says, Simon, I have something I want to say to you. And Simon figures that Jesus is going to like give him his props in front of everybody else. And so he says, Well, please just say whatever's on your mind. And Jesus tells a story, and I'd like to really I'd like to have preached a message just on this story. And you got to realize this story is metaphorical, and it's got deep meaning for all of us, okay? Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. Now, even though Simon and this woman are worlds apart, he just put them in the same story. Two people owed. Two people owed. Oh, that's the whole human race. Let me tell you something. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you've done. I know one thing. I know that without Jesus Christ, we all owe God big time because we have all sinned against God. Two people owed. Now, Jesus said one of them owed $100,000, and the other one owed $10,000. Some of you have sinned far less than I have. You're you're pretty good people. In fact, your next-door neighbors think you're wonderful. But at the end of the day, you still have sinned against God, and I've still sinned against God. Some of us are $100,000 sinners. Some of us are $10,000 sinners. It would be interesting to know the difference, though, because I think Simon in this story, Simon thought, well, I must be the $10,000 guy, and this bad woman over here, she's the $100,000 sinner. But you know the truth be told? Sometimes white-collar sin is bigger to God than blue-collar sin. You know, sometimes our pride and our arrogance and selfishness, it could be as bad as a lot of things we think are far worse. we we'll set that aside. Verse 42. I have this marked in just about every Bible I have. Neither of them had money to pay. Let me tell you something. Nobody here has got anything to pay God back for our sin. If, if you have a lot of sin or you don't think you have a lot of sin, at the end of the day, we're on level playing field because none of us has anything to pay God with. Neither of them had money to pay. So, and oh, I have this circled in my Bibles. So he canceled the debt for them both. Now Jesus gets into our chili here, and he says, Which one of them will love him more? Now he's back, Simon, in a corner, and Simon doesn't want to be in that corner. So he, does, you know, he just sort of like says, Well, you know, I guess. I guess the one who had the bigger debt canceled. And Jesus said, Bingo. Well, he didn't say bingo. He said, You've judged correctly. Now he said to Simon. Do you see this woman? There's no way in English this can be what it is is like in the original language. He was saying to Simon, you don't really see this woman. It was as if he had grabbed him by the emotional shoulders and turned him to look at her and said, look at her. Look at her. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. She's washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many. Simon, you're right. She is a sinner. She has many sins. But what you don't know about her, Simon, is her sins, which are many, are forgiven. They're gone. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves Little And just in case these religious kooks had messed her up, Jesus turned to her and said to her, Your sins remain forgiven. They're still forgiven. I want to go somewhere in the last minutes of this message. Somehow in our 21st century easy Christianity, we've gotten the feeling that God is just cool with whatever we want to give him. That if we want to eat the chicken and give God the bones, God's all right with that. He just gives us a need for effort, and that's fine. What Jesus shows us in the story is that's not true. If we have been forgiven, if we have been set free from our sin, it, this story tells us Jesus is looking for some kind of response. I mean, he said to Simon, you didn't even wash my feet. Now We want to think Jesus would never notice that, but he did. You didn't wash my feet. This woman... <laughs> This, this woman is, you didn't wash my feet with water. This woman's poured her tears on my feet. And, and on top of that, you didn't give me a kiss. This woman has not stopped kissing my feet. And you didn't put any fragrance on my head. I mean, I just think it's significant for us to take a moment, those of us who are Christ followers, and make the point that Jesus looked at a man and said, hey, you didn't respond. You took the cure for leprosy. You took what I had to give, and you didn't bring anything. See, I just think in our 21st century, easy come, easy go. God's going to be cool with anything. He's the Pillsbury Doughboy in the sky. I think it's a little time for us to just have somebody, by the grace of God, grab us by the shoulders and say, wait a minute. If you've been set free from your sin, if you've been forgiven, if God has released you from your debt of sin, then it ought to call for something. Man, it ought to get into your checkbook. If somebody can look at our checkbook and look at what we spend for entertainment and what we spend for the cause of Christ, and if somebody would draw from that the conclusion that our God is cable television, then it ought to say something to us. I'm never going to know. Don't get mad at me. Don't shoot the messenger. Hey, I'm sorting through this myself. I'm preaching this to me too. I mean, I'm just saying it ought to matter. Do you have conflicting in you the emotions of it? would be crazy to do this, but it's Jesus. Because here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, the one who has been forgiven little loves little. Two options are available to us if we love little. The first option is we don't think we've done very much wrong. Maybe, maybe all those stripes that came down on Jesus and ripped his body open, maybe, maybe that wasn't our conduct that did that. Maybe we put a few scratches on him, but it wasn't our sins that ripped his body open. Maybe those six hours that he hung suspended between heaven and earth and fought for every breath on the cross by pushing up against the nail that held his feet and pulling up against the ones that held his hands, maybe he wasn't on the cross six hours for us, maybe a few seconds. So, consequently, we can be sort of lacy fair in our relationship to God and we can sort of do what's comfortable because really wasn't much sin. Interestingly, I think it can be a second thing with most of us. You have a God who loves you and he desperately wants you to receive his grace and forgiveness. And he desperately wants you to go free, just like the woman in the story. But you have an enemy who hates you, Satan, and he's going to try to do everything he can to keep you off balance and make you wonder, am I really forgiven or am I not forgiven? See, here's the thing. A lot of us who love Christ little, it's not that we don't think we're sinners. We're off balance. One day we feel forgiven, and the next day we don't feel forgiven. You hear a sermon, you think, wow, maybe God has saved me and forgiven me. And then it's like, well, you know, but I've done a lot of things wrong, and we go back and forth. And I think sometimes that keeps us from pouring out our love for Christ. I hear it because in a, mess, in, a, in a church like New Spring, where we really focus on the grace of God, there are people every once in a while say, "Well, you, you guys focus too much on God's grace and forgiveness, and you know what you need to do? You need to kind of keep the carrot out there to make people worry about whether they're going to heaven, and maybe that'll cause them to live a better life." I don't think people live godly lives for that. I don't think people live godly lives because they're scared. I think people live godly lives because they're grateful. I think they live. I think they live for Christ. I think they live for Christ because they know they've been set free to listen to me. If Jesus can forgive a high-priced call, girl, he can forgive you. And you need to receive that forgiveness and feel the joy that says, I know I'm forgiven, so now what can I do for Jesus? What crazy thing can I do to pour out my love on Jesus? He who is forgiven much or she who is forgiven much loves much. The person who is forgiven little loves little. Can I ask you a question? And I promise you, Mark is wrestling with this question. I've preached this message five times. It has kicked me to pieces every time I've delivered this message. Which person are you more like? Are you more like Simon or are you more like the woman? I don't know about you, but I want to be like her. I want to be the person who knows he's forgiven much and who loves much. I wanna be the person who's radically crazy in love with Jesus. Because if you're a person like that, you really know how to live. You really know how to live. Let's pray. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit will preach this message to us and not let us get away from it. Father, for those who are here today, and I think there are many, who are off balance, they're not sure whether they're forgiven or not, and because they're off balance, they never really love you the way that they wanna love you. Let them feel forgiven today. Let them feel what this woman has felt. Father, in this service, may they finally come to the place where they say goodbye to their guilt. And leave it at the foot of the cross. And then, Father, I pray that you will help us to do radically crazy stuff for Jesus. Because really, Lord, that's the sane life. That's the life of reasonable thought. In Jesus' name. Now let's pray a little more. If you're here today and you're saying, Mark, I'm not sure I am forgiven. I don't know where I fall. I don't know whether I have a lot of sin or a little sin. I'm guessing I've done a lot of things wrong. How can I know if I'm forgiven? Did you hear the story? They had, nobody had anything to pay back the debt. And so what the lender did was he forgave everybody everything. That's the only way to get into heaven. That's the only way to have a relationship with God. You have to receive God's forgiveness. Jesus paid for it. That's why we've been singing about him all day. That's why I talked about him in the sermon. Jesus paid for your forgiveness with his blood on the cross. And anyone who calls upon his name, they will be saved. You sang it. It's true. Romans 10, 13. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Forgiven. Debt wiped clean. There's only one way to get it. You can't get it by being religious. You can't get it by community service. There's only one way to get it, and that is by receiving a gift. And by faith, you reach out. Now, here's what I'm going to do I'm going to pray a prayer that reaches out for God's grace. And these aren't magic words. What matters is what you mean in your heart. And I'm going to pray it slowly because if you want to pray it with me, I want you to own it and mean it. Okay? You ready? Here we go. Dear God, I am a sinner. I am wrong. I have a debt I can't pay. But I believe Jesus paid it for me. I believe he died for my sins on the cross. And I believe he arose from the grave. I ask you to forgive me and to adopt me into your family and to make me your child forever because you don't lie and keep your promises I am now going to thank you for forgiving me and making me your child thank you I receive your forgiveness I receive your salvation in Jesus name Amen if you just pray with me I don't want to leave you, because you may have a lot of questions. I want to give you a gift. I know we have, a, we have a crowd here today, but if you just pray with me, here's all you need to do. Take your Talk To Us card and just check the box that says, I prayed to receive Christ, and I have a gift for you. You need to come get this before you leave. There's a book I wrote. It's about as long as a person with ADD would write. And it answers a lot of questions about how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. There's a DVD and a coupon for a new Bible. And I promise you, nobody's going to hassle your stock. You just come back and say, I prayed with Mark. There's a big one out in the middle, a little one back by the coffee shop. Say, please, I just want to get this. And you can get it, and you can leave with it today, and it'll, it'll be a blessing. Help. I'll see you next weekend. God bless.